You know, we are in the second to last week of our series uh, on our values. As a church, what do we value most? And we define value as uh, a deeply held belief that informs behavior and shapes our culture. And this morning, I'm really excited about our sixth value, our value of excellence, excellence. Now, this is how we define excellence. So this is a little phrase that we use to remind ourselves that we value excellence at Trinity. It's this, that we do the absolute best we can with the absolute best we have. We do the absolute best that we can with the absolute best that we have. Now, when we planned this series really last year, there were two things I was unaware of that would be true of today. Number one, I didn't actually realize it was Mother's Day. Now, I should have known that because that's, of course, on the calendar. But the other thing I did not know is that today would be the day that we would launch our new cafe, Cafe 633. And I just think the timing of this message this morning on excellence is so remarkably appropriate because so many people, both in this church and people that we hired to work with, did such excellent work out there to get that cafe to where it is that many of you were able to enjoy this morning. We hired a wonderful young lady named Lauren Stanick, who was actually here. Some of you got to meet her this morning. She designed that space for us, and for her being here this morning to watch it come to life was so rewarding. And so if she was here, I would have her stand, but she had to go prepare brunch for her mom. Um, and then also, many of you put in time or uh, resources, but I really want to honor uh, Rick Davis and Gary Houghton. Rick Davis and Gary Houghton gave so many hours in there. Rick is an electrician by trade. Gary is a carpenter, and much of what you see was done by them. We did hire people for things like the flooring and the painting and the decals on the wall. But pretty much everything else you see was done by people in this church. So would you guys thank God for those who gave time and served with such excellence? So it's great timing that we're talking about excellence this morning because of that cafe. But it's also great timing that we're talking about excellence this morning because... It's Mother's Day. Now, you know, mothers do so many different things, don't they? So many different tasks, so many different responsibilities, and they do them with excellence. And I was reading this article this week from Money Magazine by a man named Brad Tuttle. It was written a couple years ago. But he, he, they were trying to determine what's the worth of a mom. Now, they are beyond describing worth, of course. But in monetary terms, when you look at everything that a mother does in the home, and this is beyond many moms, of course, work outside of the home and have other jobs, but just outside of anything they're paid to do, what is the worth of a mom? And, and in this article, he was describing some things that moms do, that the average mom spends 40 hours a week, 52 weeks a year taking care of her kids. And other mom tasks can include things like this. And mom, see if you can identify with any of these. Serving as uh, a chauffeur, cook, nurse, Tutor. Anyone, any moms here ever have to tutor your children? An accountant for the home, the CFO of the home, uh, dry cleaner, tailor. Uh, how about this one? Counselor, uh, event planner. And then sometimes moms are private detectives because it's necessary to find out what have the kids been up to, right? And so when they add all this up, the total comes to nearly $66,000. Now we know that a mom is worth so much more than $66,000 a year. But in this, we're reminded that moms do so many different things and they do them with excellence. So this morning, we're gonna talk about excellence and I want us to really consider the question, why does excellence matter? Why does it matter? And specifically, here's the question we're gonna drill in on. 
drill in on, what is true of you and me when we do work or make art or serve others with excellence? In that moment, when we're doing excellent work, when we're producing excellent art, when we're serving people with excellence, what's true about you and me? There's four things that are true. We're going to go through them this morning, and then the kids are going to come in and sing for us. The first one is this. When we do work with excellence, number one, it's in your notes, we bear God's image. We bear God's image. And Genesis 1.26, it's not going to be on the screen for you, but God says, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the triune God are having a conversation, and they're in the work of creation, and they say this, let us make humans in our image. Let us make humans in our image. Now, there's so much debate about the opening chapters of the book of Genesis, not just between Christians and those who wouldn't be Christians, but even amongst Christians. There's a lot of debate about how do we interpret Genesis 1. But in the middle of all of that, don't lose sight of the two things that are most important. And here's what they are. The two things that are most important about the first two chapters of Genesis is this. Number one, we are being introduced to a God who is unlike any other God. This is a God who is different from every other God. And number two, we are created in the image of that God. So the two biggest takeaways from Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, this God is unlike every other God, and you and I as humans have been created in his image. And in the opening chapters of Genesis, God is revealed to us as a worker. He's at work. Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, however you interpret it, one thing is certain, God's hard at work, isn't he? He's doing something, how he's doing it and how long he decided to do it in, that's where the debate lies. But he's at work, and he is a creative worker. And I was thinking about some of the type of work that he does in Genesis 1 and 2. He does work that is creative, intellectual, verbal. Remember, he speaks things. Constructive, thoughtful, communicative, organizational, practical, beautiful, productive, excellent work. And in the creation poem in Genesis chapter 1, at the end of every day of creation, he looks at it and God says the same thing. It is good. Now, I have some wonderful moms in my life. I have my own mom who I honor. I have my wife, Erin, who's mom to our three little girls. I have my sister, Lisa, who's a wonderful mom. And then many of you who I know in this church. And uh, one of the things about growing up in my mom's home is that I ate well. Shocking, right? Surprising to see me now. Uh, But I ate very well. And uh, my mom is from Seoul, South Korea. And so I grew up eating Korean food. And I I love Korean food. To this day, it's my favorite cuisine. And um, in fact, I was in Long Island this week for a bunch of meetings. And these poor two guys that were with me Every day we went and ate Korean food. They had to go because I was the ride. And every day I was like, sorry, I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. We're going back to H Mart for more Korean food. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, when I got married, Erin didn't really know a lot about Korean food. She grew up in a sort of traditional American meat and potatoes family. And so, but Erin learned how to make different Korean dishes. And she makes them very well. And I remember one time she made them and brought them over to my mom's house. And some of my mom's Korean friends, they tried it. And they were remarking on how good it was, not knowing, I don't think knowing, who actually had made it. Now, I had told Aaron all along, this is really good. Like, this is really tasty. But when these Korean ladies said it was good, it was like, it, for some reason, it meant more to her. Why would, why would that mean more than her husband? I don't I don't. I don't know, but it meant something. Why? Because she knew that their opinion mattered because they were experts on the topic. So when God looks at creation and says, 
it is good. We can trust him. He's the expert on the topic. And he's, he, he's, he's impressed himself. He's impressed with his own work. And so he does good work. Now, what's good work for you and me? Because all of us work in different places, at different locations, with different responsibilities. How is your work good? In what ways can it be good? There's a really helpful quote from a guy named Scott Sauls, who's a pastor in Nashville. And he says that any kind of work that leaves people, places, or things in better shape than before, any kind of work that helps the city of man become more like the city of God, where truth, beauty, goodness, order, and justice reign, that's the type of work that should be celebrated as good. Any sort of work. Any work that leaves people, places, and things better than you found them. Any sort of work that is serving others, that's helping others, that's providing for others, that's making the city that we live in a better place to live in, that's the sort of work that is good. And when we do work with excellence, we're bearing God's image well. So when you do well at your work, when you are productive, when you are excellent in your work, you are actually worshiping God because to bear his image well is to worship God. It's what we were created to do, to bear the very image of God. That's why in the Old Testament, they're not strictly speaking metaphorically when they talk about the trees praising God and the oceans praising God. It's not just a metaphor, although it is. There actually is a way in which nature itself lifts up the praises of God. How? They can't sing. They can't raise their hands. They can't do what we just did. By being what they were created to be and doing what they were created to do. And the same is true for you. When you are who God created you to be and when you do the things that God created you to do, that in and of itself is worship. You know, you don't have to come into this room and sing some songs to worship. You can worship all day long, all week long through excellence. How do we worship God in art? How many of you enjoy art? Either recreationally, professionally, you like to write, you like to draw, anything, you like to garden, that's all kind of art. You like to bake, that can be considered art. Well, how do you worship God in art? Through beauty, through creativity, through honesty. Right? God is honored through our art when it's honest. How do we worship God in our work? Through quality, through consistency, and through generosity. There's this misconception in the Christian circle sometimes that the only kind of art and work that glorifies God is work in art that has an explicit Christian message or a explicit Christian role. So like the work of a pastor honors God, but the work of a toll booth collector, they're just doing their thing. And there's this dichotomy that sometimes Christians have in their mindset. Or if a piece of art has a scripture verse on it, it honors God. But if it doesn't have a scripture verse on it, it doesn't matter how beautiful it is. It's a lesser type of Christian art. I just want to say that it's clearly taught in scripture. That is a division in our mind that doesn't exist in scripture. The separation between sacred and secular. Because just doing beautiful art is worshiping God. So Christians shouldn't just make movies about Christian things. They should make the best movies about anything. Same thing with art. Same thing with writing. We should be writing the best stuff with excellence because the very Spirit of God inspires us to do so. Martin Luther, we think he might have said this. Some people say he didn't. But the Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes because God is interested in craftsmanship. So whatever you do, the way you glorify God is not just through sort of overtly evangelistic additions to your work or your art, but actually the way that you worship and glorify God, the way that you bear his image is by creating something of beauty, 
of excellence, of value, and of worth. And some people are like, I don't really care about all that excellence talk. Well, you know, you care about excellence when your pizza comes and it's the wrong topping. Then you care. <laughs> you care if somebody sells you a car and you're like, is it in good shape? It's, it's good enough. That's not right. There are things we care about when it comes to excellence. And so excellence matters. Let me give you some examples maybe that will hit home for you in the room this morning. If you're, here's ways that you bear God's image. If you're an athlete, when you maximize your athletic ability and you build your gift and talent through practice and listening to your coaches, you bear his image. Students, when you take seriously your opportunity to learn and you give your efforts to grow in your studies, you're bearing God's image. Law enforcement, when you carry out justice with integrity and you protect people with your very life, you're bearing his image. Musicians, when you play an instrument with great skill and taste, you bear his image. Educators, when you open the mind or the heart of another person to beauty and truth, you're bearing God's image. Those in the medical field, when you kindly administer healing and hope to someone in sickness of any kind, you bear his image. Manual labor, when you use your hands and skill to create or construct something that didn't previously exist, you bear his image. Those of you that are in sales, when you help somebody else meet a need that they have by offering them a quality product at a fair price, you bear God's image. And every single one of you that's going to go home in just a little bit and turn your grill on, when you properly sear and season a steak, (laughs) you bear his image. And I'm only a little bit joking there. And when you share it with me, you really bear his image. Now... (laughs) Doing each of those with excellence is worship. It's, it's being who we were created to be and doing what we were created to do. Okay, we bear his image. Number two, when we do things with excellence, we follow God's example. We follow his example. Now, I know the Bible, especially if it's new to you, can feel like a disjointed, disconnected collection of stories, but there are actually some central themes uh, that thread their way through the entirety of Scripture. And one of those key themes that goes through the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation is this, God's relentless desire to have a people and be with them. And that is one of the key themes that you can find from Genesis to Revelation, that this good God desires to dwell in the midst of his people. And it starts at the very beginning when he creates Adam and Eve and he walks with them in the garden and he talks with them and he dwells with them and they spend time together. Then Adam and Eve rebel, they sin, which sin simply is choosing to love or serve something besides Jesus. And when they sin, it breaks that perfect relationship. And now there's a problem. The God that wants to dwell with his people, the people are unholy, and a holy God will not dwell with an unholy people. So the entirety of the Old Testament is God making a way through choosing a people that would be his. He starts by choosing a man named Abraham, and through Abraham becomes a family, becomes a people. And then these people, God instructs them on how to construct a place for him to dwell in their midst. It's called the tabernacle. And God uses that space as a way for the people to relate to him and know him. And then, of course, to fast forward, Jesus comes, and now God again, in human, is dwelling. This is his heart, to be with his people. He's dwelling with his people. And then even after Jesus leaves, he says, I will not leave you as orphans, but I send the Holy Spirit. And so the very Spirit of God now dwells within all those who believe in the Son. And the Bible ends in the book of Revelation with this scene where it says that God again dwells with his people in the new heavens and in the new earth. So this is sort of this theme that threads its way throughout all of Scripture. Now, in the book of Exodus, way back in the New Test- Old Testament, the second book of the Bible, God instructs his people. They've just been delivered from the Egyptian slavery, right? Moses has led them out, ten command- or the ten plagues, and now they are a nomadic desert people, numbering over a couple million, 
and he instructs them to build a tabernacle smack dab in the middle of their camp. So they got tents set up everywhere. It's my nightmare. I'm not a camper. It's my nightmare. Tents everywhere. And right in the middle, he's like, I want a tabernacle where I can dwell because remember, his heart is what? To be within his people, to be around his people, to be near his people. And he gives them some very specific instructions. You know what instructions are? Those, those things that come in the box that men don't look at. He gives them very specific instructions on some pieces of art and furniture to make. And each of those things, I'm not going to go into it, but each of them is a foreshadowing of Jesus. But I want us to look, this is our main text this morning. I know I, I normally start with the text, but this is our main text. Here, God doesn't just tell them how they should build it and what they should build. He actually cares about who does the work. And I want you to see this. In Exodus chapter 31, it's going to be on the screen for you. Beginning in verse 1, it says, The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold, silver, and bronze, in cutting stones, for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ah whoever, of the tribe of Dan, and I have given to all able men ability that they may make all that I have commanded you. Now, three things I want you to notice from our main text this morning. Number one, did you know This is the first time in all of Scripture that someone is filled with the Spirit of God. A lot of times we think, well, people are filled with the Spirit of God to do miracles, yes. To see healings, yes. To preach, yes. But the first time in Scripture someone is filled with the Spirit of God, it's to make art. It's to construct something. It's to do work that maybe we don't think is that spiritual. But it takes the very Spirit of God to fill them to do so. Number two, he didn't just give them the Spirit to do it. He says he gave them the ability the intelligence, the knowledge, and the craftsmanship. God here cares about those things, the the excellence with which the work is being done. And then he also left them with room for creativity. He says, you can devise artistic designs. So if you go back through the plans that God gives earlier in that book, he gives them a general sense of what he wants, but he leaves room for creativity because he wants us to bear his image in his creativity. This is neat because what we're learning about our God here is that he cares about excellence. And he wants things done with excellence. And he cares about who does the things that are in his house and who does the things that are supposed to represent him. And so when we act with excellence, we're following his example. In 1 Chronicles 15.22, there's a sort of obscure verse. This man named Kenaniah was put in charge of all the singing. He was over all the music. And it says that he was, it was his responsibility because he was skillful at it. Not because he was the only one willing. Not because he had really good heart, really good character. Not because he really wanted to do it. Not because he had done it for so long. Not because he sort of paid his dues and now it was his time. Not because he was a nice guy. Because he was skillful at it. God values excellence. And when we value excellence, and when we do work with excellence, we follow his example. Okay, number three. Here's what else is true of us. When we do things with excellence, we steward God's gifts. We steward God's gifts. You know when you give somebody a gift, maybe hopefully today, for example, uh, when you give somebody a gift, um, don't you still feel kind of invested even after it's out of your hand? Kind of want to see, like if you give somebody a nice piece of jewelry, 
When you see them wearing it in public, how does it make you feel? It makes you feel good, right? Because they appreciate it. They like it. They're using it. Or if you, or if you buy some, or if, or if your gift is something that you've made for them, or, or you make them a meal and you watch them enjoy it. I remember growing up, my mom uh, would, make, would make us food, and then she would watch us eat it. Anyone else have a mom like this? Like, she made us the food, and then she would sit there and just watch us eat it. Not because she was afraid I wasn't eating. She knew I was eating. But I think because it was a gift that she had given to me, and she enjoyed watching me enjoy it. And I actually, sometimes as I was eating, she would eat with me. (laughs) So I'm the only one actually putting food in my mouth, but my mom is going... She's opening her mouth, too, like she's eating it, living vicariously through me. So, why am I telling you that? Oh, yes. God cares about what we do with the gifts he's given us. I picture him like my mom watching us. When we strum that guitar, he's strumming with us. When we construct something out of nothing, he's there with us. When we uh, do work with excellence, he's, I, I, I imagine him getting joy out of the excellence of our work. In 1 Peter 4.10, I think this will be up on the screen for you, jumping into the New Testament, Peter says that each has received a gift. Because each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied Grace. There's four things I see in here. Number one, everyone has a gift. I know there are some people who say, not me. I don't have a gift. You know what that, per- you know what that means when someone says, not me? It doesn't mean they don't have a gift, because they do. It means they don't have the gift they wanted to have. That's what it means. So we have to be okay with the gifts God's given us. So everyone has a gift. Number two, according to this verse, God gave us gifts, but he didn't give it, for our, he didn't give it to me for me. He gave it to me for you. Right? What did it say in there? To serve others. Our gifts, your gifts, your talents, your abilities, they're not about you. They're not about making you famous. They're not about building a platform for yourself. They're not about getting people to applaud you and notice you when you exercise your gift. Your gift has been given to you so that you might serve others. The other thing we see here is that we're called to steward it, which means care for it, develop it, work it like somebody who works the ground or or, or works a garden. And then the last thing I see in this verse is this, it's all, it's all grace. God's gifts to you are through grace. Your opportunity to serve others is in grace. The the diligence it takes to steward it is grace. God's varied grace at work in our lives. Let me finish with our last point this morning, which is this. So when we do things with excellence, number one, we bear his image. Number two, we follow God's example. Number three, we steward his gifts. And then lastly, we advance his work. Here's my conviction as your pastor. I believe that excellence is going to help us serve and reach our community. I do. I don't think it's the most important thing necessarily. I think commitment to the gospel is most important, and the work of the Spirit is most important. But I do believe that excellence is going to help us reach and serve our community. There's a saying that if you're around me much, you're going to hear me say it eventually. It's sort of a leadership mantra or sort of a communication mantra that I buy into, and it's simply this. Everything communicates something. Let me say that again. Everything communicates something. So here's what I believe, that the quality of our cafe, it says something about who we are. The quality of our facilities, the state of our bathrooms, the people who greet you, our hospitality, our facilities, our music, our childcare, our website, our printed materials, 
they all communicate something about what we value. And here's what I believe about excellence. Excellence is a universal language, and it's inclusive. What that means is, if we have great music, then even if a musician comes in here who doesn't believe a single thing we're singing, they're going to go, this is pretty, this is pretty legit. I might come back. I want to meet those people. I want to talk to those people. If, if our website is legitimate, then when young people go there to check us out, you know like 90 plus percent of people who ever come to a church go to the website first. That's just the world today. Everybody goes to the website first. And if it's good, then people look at that and go, if they, if they take this seriously, then maybe they take other things seriously that I care about, right? If the materials that we hand out, if the way that things look, all that stuff matters. Why? Because it's giving us an opportunity to say, we, we want to steward the gifts, we want to honor God, and we take seriously the things you take seriously. There's two examples uh, in, in ancient scriptures. I'm not going to read them to you, but study Joseph and Daniel. Joseph was in Egypt, uh, really a, a, a slave. Daniel was in Babylon, a refugee. Neither one of them should have amounted to anything more than just sort of a manual labor, do nothing. But because they were so good at what they did, they both rose to second in command in a foreign land. Why? Because of excellence. The spirit of God was on them. And it was, people notice excellence. People at your work will notice you when you do things with excellence. And then a modern day example, uh, Pastor Tim Keller, his wife, Kathy, I was reading an article, an interview with her recently, and she was talking about excellence at their church, Redeemer, in New York City. I just want to read to you what she said. She said that we believed, this is one of their core convictions, and I didn't know that till this week, but we believed that excellence in music and all the other public faces of Redeemer was inclusive. That meant childcare, that meant the bulletin, that meant coffee hour. Everything was more inclusive, inclusive meaning letting people in, if it was done excellently. Because even if you weren't a believer, you could appreciate the music or be impressed by the nursery. Or you could say, wow, they're offering bagels and cream cheese or breakfast pizza at the coffee hour. Very early on when the full sum of all that we had by way of physical representation of the church was one brochure, one of the first early attenders of Redeemer who was a graphic designer picked up the brochure, not a believer, and she looked at it and she said, full, co- full color, coat of varnish, this is nice. These people must be serious. The quality doesn't come cheap. It's a very demanding value, excellence. But it's better not to do something at all than to do it badly. These are lessons learned in the context of Manhattan, which is not where we are, of course. But in other locations, the currency may be time or volunteer help in the community. But whatever it is, making the effort, rather than settling for good enough, will attract those who are skeptical of the Christian church and the Christian message because excellence is a universal language and it's inclusive. By the way, we're gonna finish. Here's what this means for you. One of the best ways that you can evangelize in your workplace, one of the best ways that you can evangelize in your hobbies and through your art is to be excellent. Be the best one at what God's called you to do. It helps you gain respect. It will build a platform and it will point to God. Excellence matters. Let me close by giving one warning, and it's this, and then the kids are going to come sing. Excellence makes a wonderful goal, a wonderful goal, and we aim for it, and we're aiming for it. Excellence makes a wonderful goal, but it makes a terrible God, a terrible God. We don't serve excellence. We use excellence to serve God, and there is a difference. You've probably heard me share this story before, but it's one of my favorites, so let me share it again. And the, there's a movie that came out years ago that's very well known called Chariots of Fire. It's about two 
Olympic runners. And it was the 1924 Summer Olympics in Paris, France. Eric Little was a runner from Scotland, and Harold Abraham was a runner from England. And they both were favored to win their race that summer, to win the gold medal. And so they head off to Paris, France for the Olympics. And uh, Eric Little was a believer in Jesus Christ. In fact, he eventually became a missionary to China, where he died at the age of 43 of an inoperable brain tumor. Uh, Harold Abraham was a good guy, but, but not a believer in Jesus. And in the days leading up to the Olympics, the, the media circled around these two runners. Harold Abraham, not, the, not a believer. Eric Little, follower of Jesus. And the media asked them both the same question. Why do you run? Why do you run? Which I, I, I ask that question of anybody who runs. Why do, you, why do you run? Why are you running? I always joke that if you ever see me running, you better start running too. But why, why, why do you run? And they gave two dramatically different answers, which exposes one who used excellence to serve God and one who made excellence his God. Harold Abraham, who made excellence his God, said this, I run because I know that when the gun goes off, I have 10 seconds. He ran the 100 meters. I have 10 seconds to justify my existence on earth. 10 seconds to prove I'm worth the space I take up. That's the crushing bondage of making excellence into a God. It's never enough. Eric Little, who loved Jesus, when I asked him the same question, why do you run? He said, I run because God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. I love that. I run because God made me fast. Why do you make music? Because you got to prove yourself with every song you write? Or because God put a song inside of you, and when you release that song, you feel his pleasure. Why do you build what you build? Why do you put your hands to, to lumber and construct things? Why do you renovate things? Why do you serve people in the hospital? Why do you teach people in the school? Why are you in business? Why are you in architecture? Why? Because you got to prove yourself or because God gave you that gift and when you exercise that gift, you feel his pleasure because you're bearing his image. You're following his example. You're stewarding his gift and you're advancing his work. Let's pray together this morning as the children come in and get set. God, help us to be a people who work with excellence, not out of a need to prove anything, but because Jesus has already proven everything for us. Jesus, you lived the life we should have lived. You died the death we should have died. You give us hope beyond every grave. And so we trust in you. We lift our eyes and our heart to you, and we say thank you, God, for who you are. And we trust you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.